KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. I'm Matt Leon. I'm Jim Melwort. Jim Melwort. It says one of my good friends at KYW News Radio. I'm going to say that because that's what the script says. I'm hurt. I thought we were best friends. Sure, we are. But we do have a lot of things in common, don't we, Jim? We've worked together a long time now, two decades, right? Well, we started working together 2002. Here? Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. That's when I started. And I think you were, you came in right did, around. Did there. we work together before here? I don't remember that part. No, I don't think so. Okay. No, it's a different story for a different day. So yeah, but, now I've, uh, always, uh, always great to talk to your takes on sports, your takes on politics. Yeah. And that's something we do have in common and much like sports, which is now constantly talked about, regardless of whether a team or a sport is in season, politics have become 12 months a year always looking ahead to the next election. Yeah. And I think that everything now is in the context of, well, if he does this, how does it position him for, for re-election? Instead of doing, this is what he thinks is right. So this is what he should do. It's, well, that's going to hurt his political yeah, future. Everything's, well, okay. You know, everything is looked through that prism. Yeah. And, you know, kind of that looking back and the sample in the jar of where we are right now, that kind of sums up a lot of politics and a lot of how everyone's sort of dug into their camps, no pun intended, is, is looking back at the, the gubernatorial election in Pennsylvania with Doug Mastriano against Josh Shapiro. And he did an interview with 1210 WPHT. And one of the things Mastriano talked about was was no excuse mail-in voting. Look, I didn't embrace that, obviously, during the campaign. We probably should have used it as the Democrats have, because I don't see how we win elections without embracing that idea. And I get it, you know, I'm it's icky, but if we want to win, we're going to operate within the law. With what Mastriano said, how much of, of Mastriano's loss and other Republicans in Pennsylvania, how much did that have to do with mail-in voting or was there something else going on? In the absence of a change of the law, you are taking an option off the table. I think you need candidates that can appeal to voters. The state last year could have voted by carrier pigeon and Doug Mastriano still would have lost in a landslide. Today on KYW News Radio in depth, mail in voting and the other questions facing Republicans in Pennsylvania and elsewhere after key losses in 2022. Okay, Jim, so Doug Mastriano recently said that mail in voting was, quote, icky, but at the same time, he seemed to suggest that it might have been able to help him in the 2022 Pennsylvania governor's race. I don't know why this is a surprise to anyone, but what do you make of this? Well, first off, we don't use the word icky enough. That's a great word. Yeah. And and he uses it very well. But I reached out to political strategists, people who do this for a living, to kind of get their thoughts on how much of a role did that play? Would it have helped uh, Mastriano if he had embraced it more or hadn't been so against it? One person I talked to uh, was a Republican strategist, Aaron Cohen from Arena Strategies. His reaction to what Mastriano said was basically... Yeah, I think that it is something that's here to stay. You can't win at the ballot box on election day and then lose so consistently when all the ballots are counted. And I think that's a major challenge for Republicans. But by the same token, just embracing it doesn't mean you're going to get someone's vote. So I still think you need a good product. Now, this makes sense. A vote is a vote is a vote. I just keep coming back to the whole self-defeating thing of, you know, villainizing mail-in voting. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the point. Another longtime Republican political consultant, uh, Christopher Nicholas with Eagle Consulting, it's another point he made too. I think our public officials should 
stop going out of their way to berate vote by mail uh, and to remember this key point that the votes don't count differently, Jim. They count the same, whether they come in on Election Day by somebody voting at their precinct or in Philadelphia in their division, or if it comes from a piece of paper they mailed in two weeks before. You know, we need to meet voters where they are. You know, all of this, again, is under the umbrella of there are still issues that need to be ironed out with Act 77. I mean, there's still concerns. You know, one of the major issues is that, that counties can't open and prep the ballots to be counted before Election Day. So they're starting at 7 a.m. on Election Day, opening the envelopes. There's two envelopes they have to open. And when you're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of these or, or tens of thousands of these, that's going to take a long time right. just to, to pull it out, flatten it, and make sure that, you know, the signatures match and everything. And that's another point that that Nicholas makes is that if you blame the way people vote, you don't pay attention to the actual issues of the Mastriano campaign and the candidate himself. My concern is by focusing on the method by which people vote, that creates a crutch for us in the GOP and pushes us away from what we really need to do is to reevaluate how we choose our candidates and choose candidates better suited for the job they're running for. Doug Mastriano fits very well into South Central Pennsylvania, where his state Senate district is, which is why he's been elected by wide margins. And should he continue to run for re-election there, we'll win re-election by large margins. He was not a good candidate for the entire state because the entire state is not as conservative as South Central Pennsylvania, Gettysburg and Chambersburg, that region. We've talked about the mail-in vote, abortion. There was a lot of talk about COVID and, you know, masking kids. And by 2022, everyone had kind of moved on on the masking thing, but there was still this grievance of something that happened, but it's not something that's front and center in people's lives. And, you know, the campaign seemed to be about COVID, election denial, and abortion, and it just didn't resonate. No, it, it didn't at all. And And- you know, the, the important thing to note about the Dobbs decision is it didn't outlaw or change abortion in many places. It, it said federal government, it's not a federal law anymore and states can decide, which when you're talking about a governor's race, the governor is a veto pen. Mm-hmm. And one of Mastriano's strategies after the Dobbs decision came out was to say, well, look, the governor doesn't choose. That's the state legislature. And to kind of downplay the role that the governor would play in this. And voters didn't buy it. And, and as a state senator, he, he was a key sponsor of a bill. That they, they call them heartbeat bills. Whether or not it's actually a heartbeat is, is up to scientific debate. But, you know, early on, it's, it's, it's five or six weeks that, that it would outlaw abortion after five or six weeks when most women wouldn't even know they're pregnant. So basically, it's a, an across-the-board ban. But, but he was key in that. So it was clear where he stood, you know, as far as, as abortion goes. And it wasn't – Doug Mastriano kind of rose to fame. He was very outspoken about COVID closures, and and he was on point on some of the issues. Pennsylvania had essential and non-essential businesses, and they completely bungled it. I mean, they were they were closing – I don't think that was just a Pennsylvania thing. Well, I think yeah, that, you're right. But you're I mean, right. for this conversation, but, yeah. yes. But here we are, you know, state senator. And, you know, he started speaking out on that. He was very outspoken on – through the 2020 election, about election fraud, even talking about electing a, a different slate of voter of, of electors to send to decertify the the actual election, and 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 so that was kind of ha- where he gained his his notoriety 
during COVID in Pennsylvania. Uh, Rachel Levine, transgender woman, was was the the health secretary. Was very aggressive with an anti-trans uh, standpoint. You know, some some really harsh criticism of her just based on gender identity, and gained a lot of traction with that. A lot of people started to back him, and again, that works in in South Central PA. But when you get out of that bubble, and and I use the word bubble because it certainly is. I mean, you're consuming the exact same news sources. Mm-hmm. You're not looking at any outside viewpoints. You're not anything that doesn't agree with you. You're basically blocking out. That's not going to work in a statewide election, and that and that's what we saw here. And and and, and you know that, that, that's a trend. That that bubble is a trend. It, it's not just from 2022, but in previous elections. Uh, Chris Bork is political science professor at Muhlenberg. He heads up their their polling. He explained what he's seen in both polling and as a political science professor. Since 2016, when Donald Trump was able to win in Pennsylvania, Republicans running for statewide office, you know, in Senate races, gubernatorial races have lost mightily. What's fascinating is when have they won statewide? They've won in more obscure races, you know, auditor general, treasurer judicial races where the public doesn't know as much about the candidates. They are more generic Republican candidates, for lack of a better word. And the public has no problem voting for those candidates. It's when the candidates are more ideological, more bombastic, more out there, if you will, uh, in terms of some of their, their rhetoric and their positions where they struggle. In, in the general election. So it's in, in some ways, you know, you, you think in these last couple of cycles, if Republic, the Republican Party put up more generic candidates in these high profile races, their performance probably would have been better. And to that point that Chris Bork was talking about, I feel like Pennsylvania Republicans, but a lot of the GOP at large is now stuck in this almost no win situation where the MAGA agenda is incredibly popular within the GOP base. And in order to get out of any kind of a primary and be competitive, you have to have that base, but it does not translate well to the general population. So in order to get into a general, you have to really buy into a thing that is going to be an absolute anchor around your ankles in a general election. And it is a cycle that is their own fault. That they, because of Trump's win in 2016, they thought this was the secret sauce, but now it's a, a circle that I don't know how they get out of. And when we look at Pennsylvania Republicans, can they get out of that cycle? Can they change their luck? Is it too late? Is this what they have to do when the ship has sailed and they just have to hope for the best and maybe hope the electorate comes their way? Jim Melwort and I will talk more about that next. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon, and I'm talking with KYW News Radio's Jim. It's Melward, right? Is that how you pronounce it? No, it's Melway. Oh, okay. It's French. No, you had it right. No. Uh, about the state of the Pennsylvania Republican Party and how much their losses in recent high profile elections has to do with mail in ballots, like Doug Mastriano suggested, or other factors like the candidates themselves. Now, right before the break, Jim, you said the consensus among the three political strategists you spoke with recently was pretty unanimous. They all think the Pennsylvania GOP needs to reconsider the candidates that will make it through to the general elections, right? It's, it's interesting, before, I, before we get into that, that you're seeing in some ways, and, and I don't want to do uh, uh, you know, a, a false equivalence here, and so it's not an exact parallel, but there are some ways where Democrats are sort of going down that same path where much slower right 
primaries yeah. are getting pulled so far to the extremes. And the gubernatorial candidate, Josh Shapiro, uh, the Washington Post just recently called him the GOP charmer. So you have Republicans or Mastriano might disagree with me. You know, when, when I say he's much more moderate, they, they still think he's, you know, got a lot of more liberal far left tendencies. But as far as the general mainstream voters concerned, you know, he is more of that centrist and, and can have that broad appeal and can pull people in from the other party, which you're going to have to do yeah. in a state like Pennsylvania when, you know, when you're looking at, I, I think it's what, 15% are, are unaffiliated. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to pull from that number. We should say with, with all of this, I am, I am by no means indicting conservative values, you know, your traditional 80s conservative, you know, seven, whatever, whatever decade you want to go back to. That's not what I'm, what, what we're indicting here. We're, you can believe what you want to believe, but the issue here is, it, I mean, this is just simple statistics. I mean, yeah. this, this is just numbers that you can't have a candidate who is this dug in to, again, no pun intended there to, uh, I just got why you were, you said pun before and I couldn't figure out what you were saying the pun about and it's Doug mastery. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I just clicked in my, yeah. I swear it. I just clicked in that my head. Jokes. That, that <laughs> joke. Sorry. <laughs> But you know, again, and, and, and all, all the people that I talked to for this were in agreement that, that changes need to happen here at, at this primary level. The GOP needs to do things differently. Going back again to Republican strategist Chris Nicholas from uh, Eagle Consulting in Harrisburg. For the first time in my lifetime of working here, which goes back to the late 80s, they decided not to endorse a candidate in either statewide race for U.S. Senate or for governor. And part of the problem was, it ended up being a problem, is we had a lot of good candidates and they couldn't settle on just one. So they kind of punted and said, no endorsement. And that allowed our gubernatorial field to still stay very large. It ultimately was nine people. So all the candidates not named Doug Mastriano got like 56% of the vote and Mastriano got 44. That's part of the issue with with primaries is both parties only have a portion of their overall membership voicing their choice in, in the spring. The issue that you have when you have these huge fields, and especially in this case, was Mastriano was the one who was kind of more of the outlier. Whereas, you know, you had some other guys who sort of canceled each other out who were more of your traditional candidate that would appeal statewide. And and they sort of canceled each other out and and you got to remember Mastriano's win in the primary was, was substantial. I mean, we're talking 40 some percent in a crowded field, but Aaron Cohen, also uh, a Republican strategist took it a step further. I think the number one issue would be to force an endorsement vote first and foremost. So we can all play money, money, quarterback of the inside machinations of what happened when, you know, in February of 2022 during that process. And it doesn't matter even what the results are of the actual endorsement vote, but at least it would have stated and put a stake in the ground for both the U.S. Senate and the gubernatorial primaries. And I think that's an important place for the state party to play. And that can be applied at the county level. Do I think that the endorsement would have cleared the field for any candidate? Likely not. Would it have whittled it down a little bit for governor? Perhaps. But the most important statement it makes is that the party stands for this, and the party is supporting this candidate. A big chunk of your conservative base right now is tired of the the quote unquote smoke filled backroom decision makers, you know, going into a room and the coming out. And they're not necessarily wrong. I agree with that. Right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. However, you know, the the challenge there then is, you know, these are people who have been doing this for 
25, 30 years, and they know how to win a state race. So if they're saying, look, this guy can't win in the fall, that's the decision that the party has to make then is, do you want the guy who is going to give you 100% of everything you want, but is probably going to lose? Or the guy who you agree with on 60%, 65%, 70%, but actually has a chance to win? It, It sounds like these GOP consultants, they understand you know, this is not a situation where they're throwing their hands up going, oh, I don't know what the problem is. Like, they they know it, but knowing something and implementing it and making the change is another, and that's the difficult part. Are they pointing in that direction, though? Yeah, I mean, that that's the, that's the million-dollar question, right? I mean, that's that's the tricky dynamic, you know, in a, in a two-party system because you have competing interests in each party. You're going back to Chris Boric from Muhlenberg. He says this is, you know, this is what the the Pennsylvania GOP has to figure out. It's not easy for party leaders to make sure that the fields that are in primaries might allow candidates that are have broader appeal in general elections to have better footing. That means not dividing votes among candidates. And that takes some persuasion ability to try and and maybe advocate for certain candidates early and get those candidates out in front, short of other major reforms of the primary process. I think a lot of it comes from the party itself, trying to come up with ways to make sure that they're advocating for candidates that are ultimately electable in the primary process and trying to build as much support at that stage to offset potential weaker candidates winning primaries. When we're talking about primaries, what about opening them up? And can you explain when we say opening them up what we mean and is it an option? Yeah, so so right now in Pennsylvania, you have to be registered either a Republican or a Democrat to vote in that respective primary. So if you're an independent or libertarian or Green Party, you can't vote in the primary. And there is more support, especially on the Republican side, to open primaries. But the, the counter argument is, you know, this is this is our party and you should be involved in the party to select the candidate. So keep it closed and only allow registered voters to have a say. But, you know, there are people who, you know, who are, are opposed to opening primaries. And Chris Nicholas, political strategist, a Republican political strategist, is one of those. When I asked him about it, his answer is based on, on research that he's done looking into it. The belief that independent voters are more moderate than other voters is, is a canard. Research I've done four or five years ago, I did a statewide poll of independents. And, you know, they were essentially about one third leaning Republican, one third leaning Democrat, and one third kind of up in the middle. The biggest takeaway for me with independent voters is they're just not as interested in politics as other people, right? In 2021, your your listeners may remember we had a couple constitutional amendments on the ballot. And when you look at it, independent voters can't vote in primaries, but they can vote in primaries where there is a constitutional amendment or a ballot question, right? So those constitutional amendments were very well publicized and turnout among independents in that primary was 12%. So people here are mostly independents because they don't want to be as involved in the process or they don't like either party. So thinking, oh, if we open it up to other people, it'll change it. Uh, it The onus is on us as Republicans and on Democrats in their primary. 
to find candidates who know how to appeal to voters of all stripes. The one point he makes there is something I'm guilty of all the time where I just say like, oh, independent voters, they're in the middle of the road. And, and, and the point that he's making is, or one of, one of the points he's making is they're not. That, that just because you're an independent doesn't mean that you're a centrist. No, a lot of times people just don't want to be branded, but they always vote the same way all the time. <laughs> right. And, and understandable. You know, I, I, I can see why someone wouldn't really want to be associated with either party with, with some of the, the issues that we've talked about for the past 20 minutes. We've been focused here on Pennsylvania, but it seems to me a lot of what we're talking here in Pennsylvania, we could take this conversation and transplant it to several other places. You know, when you look at like Arizona, I mean, the GOP's got to figure some things out, what they want to be and what they don't want to be going forward. Yeah. And, and we're talking about Republicans here because in the election, Republicans got their clocks cleaned for the, the issues we're talking about. So we're not saying that Democrats are better. We're not saying Republicans are, are losers. Although in this election they were in a different use of the word, uh, and so I think that's what we're addressing here. And, and you know, kind of what do they do? And and I'll tell you, Matt, and I'll climb on the soapbox here for a second. Uh, I have a lot of concerns about you know politics have become you know Madison Ave advertising, and and it's a formula and there's a science to it. And one of the easiest ways to get support for a candidate is tell how bad the other candidate's done, and we've been locked in the cycle probably since, you know, going back even further, but, you know, where it's really just in your face constantly, you know, I'd say probably since like the early 90s. We've spent decades now telling people how bad this country is. And then we wonder why everyone's so miserable and why everyone hates our government and why everyone thinks everything's so wrong. Well, I mean, that's got to play a role. I just did a story this week on the Youth Risk Behavioral uh, Survey, which is done every two years for high school kids. You might remember filling it out when you were a kid. I do. And, you know, it used to be like, kids are drinking, kids are smoking, kids are having sex. Oh, my God. And now this this poll from, from 2021 found the level of sadness and hopelessness is, is a majority. And so what are we doing to ourselves? And, you know, the, and the other part of this is government is not some castle on the hill. We're all government. Right. I mean, th- this is a, this is democracy. Like, we all have a say. So, you know, a long answer to your question and maybe a, a little off the path more than I should have, but Republicans right now and Democrats in many ways too, but for purposes of this conversation after doing so poorly in an election, Republicans need to figure out this identity. They need to figure out how to connect with everyone, not just the Fox News watchers or OAN or Newsmax or, you know, Ben Shapiro listeners. How do you get outside that bubble and start? getting back to, you know, some of your core conservative values. And this is something you touched on at the beginning of this. Everything is looked at, oh, oh, how will this hurt him in the general? How will this help her in the primary stuff like that? Nothing is looked at as, wow, this decision really helps a lot of people. Or this idea would make a lot of people's life a little bit better. Because the horse race stuff is easy. That's just, you know, ooh, shiny object. This other stuff, there actually has to be work done, but I'm getting, we're getting really off track for <laughs> another episode. This was great, Jim. You should come in more than once a year. Uh, it's three times this year. Now, and it's only February. Well, it was a year, not, not the calendar year. Oh, okay. More the, fiscal, yeah, year. The fiscal year. The fiscal year. Starts in February in my world, yeah. apparently. But thanks for coming in. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Always great talking to you. And, and you know, the funny thing is, this is what Matt and I talk about. If we, if we went out for a beer or coffee, this is what we talked yeah, about. Yeah, there's so. probably a few more F-bombs. <laughs> Bye-bye.
That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.